12 through 21. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses, even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of the offense of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. But the free gift is not like the transgression. For if by the transgression of the one, the many died, much more did the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abound to the many. The gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For on the one hand, the judgment arose from one transgression, resulting in condemnation. But on the other hand, the free gift arose from many transgressions, resulting in justification. For if by the transgression of one, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. So then, as through one transgression, there resulted condemnation to all men. Even so, through one act of righteousness, there resulted justification of life to all men. For as through the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. Even so, through the obedience of the one, the many will be made righteous. The law came in so that the transgression would increase. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that, As sin reigned in death, even so grace would reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Thank you, Brian. Adam and Kim, you are a joy and a blessing and fun. It's a privilege to have done ministry with you guys for the last seven years and Look forward to what God will continue to do through you guys as he blesses the church. This is a uh, heavy topic that Paul addresses. Um, Death, we know, is universal. But we know it on top of that, it is far from natural. Many are hopeful when they talk about the concept of death. Um, They hope that things will work out. Oscar Wilde hopefully suggests death must be so beautiful to lie in the soft brown earth with grass wavering, waving above one's head and listen to silence. To have no yesterday or no tomorrow, to forget time, to forgive life and to be at peace. It's amazing as you look out into the world as they recognize this universal problem, how humanity has responded the issue of death. Even Albert Einstein suggested a hopeful perspective. Our death is not an end. If we have lived, if we can live on in our children and the younger generation, for they are us. Our bodies are only wilted leaves on the tree of life. How does one contemplate the issue that we recognize is entirely universal? Jeff Mason He often looked at the issue of death and he was bewildered. What I think is amazing about his perspective as he talks about the issue is his humility to recognize he can't figure out what it is. 
There are no experts on death, he will suggest, for there is nothing to know about it. Not even those who study the death process have an edge on the rest of us. We are all equals in thinking about death. And we all begin and end thinking about it from a position of ignorance. And he's right. Only in the sense that we don't have anybody to tell us what it's like afterwards. And so as humanity is heading towards this trajectory, no one is on the other side to tell us what it's like, as the world would suggest. And so they find themselves bewildered about what's to come. And so that's just merely the philosopher. But if you look at the atheist who denies God altogether, he's, he's left to dismiss death all entirely as having nothing or no value. The therapist, as he grapples with it, he is trying to mask its problem. The doctor, oh, how the doctors, they struggle. They struggle to delay it. In the last 100 years, the medical advances this world have come to enjoy have been amazing, indeed. And yet, still to this day, we remain powerless as it comes to this issue of death. This is why Paul writes the rudder of Romans, I am eager to preach the gospel to you, for it is the power of God unto salvation. Because it answers the question concerning the universal problem, which we all know, which we're all heading towards, that which is death. And you have to come to the grips of how to respond to this issue. I was 20 years old. 20 years old, and a 40-year-old man comes up to me. Where I ended up working in Spokane. He said, Jacob, I don't understand. My niece, she's only 15 years old. She had a cut on her foot. She went swimming. She got out of the water after having a fun day in the lake. Something in the lake, the bacteria, ravaged her body. For two weeks, she fought, and she just died. Why did this happen? If Christianity does not have an answer to that question, we have nothing to offer the world. And as I'm thinking there, He is a 40-year-old man. I'm 20. And he's asking a 20-year-old this question. Why? Christianity has a response to the major problem the world faces. And it's my hope, it's my desire, it's my longing, it's Paul's longing. That Christians recognize the problem and how to respond to it. We are not like the atheist who dismisses the issue. We're not like the therapist who merely masks it and just pushes it off the side and say, enjoy life as you might have it. We're not like the doctor who struggles to delay it. We have something, as Paul will argue, which is so valuable to answer these questions. Because it's not just the 40-year-old that asks this question, why did this happen? It's the four-year-old that asks the same question. It grazes me that it has the many issues that we face in this world, often this one is the most neglected question of our society around the world, the issue of death. And Paul, 
after four and a half, five chapters, has come to address it. There have been two people, there are two people who have significantly impacted the world today. One, Adam. Two, Christ. You notice throughout this text, it's kind of confusing, maybe as you go through it, the way that he uses the term one. There has been one man who has impacted the world in a negative way. But there is one other man who has impacted this world in an incredibly astounding way. And if we can understand the gospel and the power of salvation which God has revealed to us through Christ, we have something wonderful to offer the world. And so you can recognize, as as Brandon read, the term one pops up like 11 times. So this is what I want to do. For those of us in Christ, we need to understand. Remember when Jesus was in his ministry, he was walking and the crowds were facing him. He gave those who were following him this promise. John chapter 8, verse 51, he said, Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone who keeps my word, anyone, if anyone who keeps my word, he will never see what? Death. As Christians, we know the answer to what the universal problem is. And he gives a promise to those who hope in it. And Paul addresses it here today. So as, as an understanding, and I want, want us to be familiar with the problem, I want to just walk through this. As Christians, we should recognize why death exists. So the way that I'm going to try to lay this out is we'll look at the one man who has impacted the world, world in a profoundly negative way and why death exists in our world. Through Adam, and we'll look through this, and he stresses five reasons why we experience death and the problems of this world. And two, the second point will be as we look as what has been offered to us in Christ. And in Christ, we have been spending the last five chapters talking about what Christ has offered us in the gospel. I will spend little less time there as, uh, as we look at it but I want to spend the bulk of it here in the beginning just to remind us when the 40-year-old man or the 4-year-old in your your household, in your Sunday school class, in your schools, on the playground, whomever God might bring your way, asks that question that you and I would be fully equipped to answer the question rightly. Through Adam, verse 12, all, through Adam, through one man, sin entered the world. Look with me in Romans chapter 5, verse 12. In verse 12, he is going to stress four things. It is the, it is the theologically loaded verse for this whole section. And first off, humanity, those who follow Christ, those who know God, those who are of the, of the knowledge of what God has done and is doing, Through one man, we recognize sin entered the world. And this shouldn't be a foreign concept for us, should it? As we remember in the very beginning of the scriptures, you look at Genesis 1, verse 31, after God created all things, he steps back, God sees all that he has made, and he says, behold, it was very good. We recognize as Christians, God created a perfect world. And in that perfect world, he established man and woman to enjoy his incredible generosity and power in his creation. 
And as a result of this, we know why it failed. I don't want to go through the whole story again. But we recognize that after God made man and woman, He gave man and woman free access to all of His creation, except for one. And in that, we remember in Genesis 2, verse 16 and 7, why sin entered the world. Look at me, with me. Lord God commanded the man, saying, He gives them one command. Many of us are very familiar with this. From any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. And we know and we're very familiar that how sin entered the world. There once was a time in which sin was not in the world. When Adam partook of the fruit, he opened the door, so to speak, for, en- for sin to enter into the world. And we recognize that, that humanity has been the problem ever since then. When Paul says in verse 12, why is uh, there death in the world? Well, one, humanity, we recognize the, there is two, really two problems. One, sin and the issue of death. Look at what happens. Verse 12 again. Through Adam, we have one man introducing sin into the world. Two, as a result of sin in the world, we have this issue of death. Look at this. Verse 12. Just as through one man, sin entered into the world, and then that, as a result of that, death through sin. Why does death exist? Where you have sin, death follows it. As you remember, just as Adam and Eve ate of the tree of good and evil, immediately after eating it, what did they do? They hid, recognizing that as a result of their sin, they stood before a righteous God. But we recognize that when when God gave them this command, He warned them that when you eat of the tree of good and evil, there was also going to be a consequence. Let me read it again in Genesis 2, 16 through 17. This is important. The Lord commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. There's the command. Here's the consequence. For in the day that you eat from it, you will surely die. The consequence of sin is death. As a result of sin, death followed it into the world. There are two twin powers that dominate humanity. Sin, and as a result of sin, death in our world. And before I continue, it's amazing to me how often that issue, the issue of death, even now, is being pushed to the corners of our society. Um, We tend to ignore the issue of death, even from the pulpit. Uh, We don't want our children to see it, our children to see it. Uh, We we let it be somewhere at the hospital. It grieves me that funerals are so limited in number because that is the one reminder to all humanity. And I understand the concerns. It's not my, my issue. My issue is, is that we don't look at it. We don't observe what's set before all of us. 
and we put it off to the side as if, if we can somehow put it off to the side, we never have to deal with it. And then after over a period of time, you have a 40-year-old man who's never really come to grips with the question. Because our world is so enamored with fool's gold. The doctor knows he just merely works as hard as he can just to delay it. And we know why it exists. There are two powers that dominate the human race and it is sin and death. I plead with you as a parent, talk to your kids about it. The greatest thing that I had a problem with is at 17 is that I thought I was invincible and that I, couldn't, I could avoid death, that it wouldn't come on my doorstep. And so you live life with a sense of recklessness. And we don't know when it will appear. And it was in, the result of death exists in all of us, as Hebrews will say, it has been appointed to all to die. And after that moment, there's judgment. Paul says a ton in one verse. He said already, through one man, sin entered the world. Two, death through sin. And as a result of that, death Point three, under point one, Adam's sin brought death to spread all over humanity. It's the universal problem that death has occurred for the universal race throughout time because of one man's rebellion. I know that in my mind, this is how I think. How is it that God thinks it's fair to not just accuse Adam's sin? but also to accuse Adam of his sin and then produce that consequence in all of humanity. Is God right to condemn Adam and everyone after him of that issue? And it's amazing to me how in my foolish thinking that I tend to make sin merely individual. I tend to think that my sins have no impact on other people. And the reality is, is that nowhere in Scripture do we think, or is it suggested, that my sin is only for me and merely does not harm anyone else. The reality is, is that when we sin, it impacts humanity as a whole. Every time, every time, A man goes into his closet to fill his mind with lust. He impacts humanity with this sin. Every time a human being gossips, it's not just a merely individual sin. He or she impacts humanity. It puts a weight on our society. Every time a child disobeys his parent. It impacts humanity. We are, it is a sinful thought to think that my sin is merely individual. And all humanity has experienced the weight of one man's decision as a result of that. It has impacted all of us for thousands and thousands of years. It is foolish for us to think 
How dare God not hold us accountable? Or how dare God accuse him and all of us when we ourselves know the same reality that when we sin, it impacts everyone around us? And as a result of that, humanity still bears this weight. For the sake of time, let's continue. So one, sin has entered through the world through one man. For two, death through sin followed it. Three, death has spread universally. Four, all human beings, because they enter the world separated from God, commit sin. How did Adam and Eve enjoy life? They were with God. They had full access to who God was and is. And having access to the author of life sustained them. And the moment Adam and Eve sinned, they were kicked out of the garden. And as a result of being kicked out of the garden, they were dead. Separated from the author of life. And being separated from the author of life, therefore all humanity sins. And result of that. The situation that faces all of humanity is we know, a four-year-old knows that eternity has been placed within their heart. We know this. And we know that the problem is, is that if I die, who will sustain the soul? And there's this deep desire, as Paul Paul has written already in Romans chapter 1, that we know who God is. And yet, because we are of the descendants of Adam, we still produce or walk with enmity towards God. Now, this is indeed, verse 12, deeply theological. Right? It ought to make our minds spin and think and consider, because when we understand these things, then maybe, 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 we are better equipped to answer the 40-year-old and the 4-year-old's question. We die because we are at enmity with God. We have sinned against Him, and through sin, death entered the world, and we have still felt its weight forever since then. Which leads us... He makes those five statements, or all four statements, and five, he makes one more, and I'll look at this at verse 14. As a result of this, it has been unrelenting. Look at verse 14. Nevertheless, death reigned. Rules. No exceptions. From Adam until Moses, even those who have not sinned in the likeness of fence of Adam, all of us have seen the weight of sin and the, the dominance of death throughout the centuries. Not very hopeful. It's but... It's practical. This is the problem that faces all of us. And we know where it started. We know why it's dominant. Then the power of the gospel becomes everything for us. But before I go to Christ, for the sake of time, I want to recognize Paul is going to say a few things just to clarify. Before he moves on to to Christ, he says, let's just remind ourselves from verses 15 through 19 what Adam's sin also brought. In verse 15, he goes on to declare, all people, because of the transgression of the man, will die. Look at this. This is where he becomes very comparative in verse 15 through 19. But the free gift, not that of Christ, is not like the transgression. 
For it is by the transgression of the one, many die. He doesn't want us to miss this point. Verse 16, as a result of sin, all humanity is condemned. Verse 16, the gift, not like that of which of Christ, but Adam is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For on the, on the one who hand, the judgment arose from one transgression, resulting in condemnation. As a result of one man's sin, we are all associated with Adam's sin. And as a result of being associated and being separated from God, we sin and see what lies for us, knowing that we all will die. Death reigns, verse 17. For if by this one transgression, by the transgression of the one, death reigned through the one. Verse 18, he has to say it again. Condemnation was upon all because of transgression of the one. Even so, though, one act of right... Oh, excuse me, verse 18. So then, as though the one transgression resulted in condemnation to all men. Verse 19. Result of this, for through the man, one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. Who wants to be Adam? Who has brought thousands and thousands of years of grief because of one man's sin? How much we make and minimize our own sin, thinking that it will not impact the generations after us. That's foolish. We go into our own homes, we go and isolate ourselves, and we just say, it's not that bad, it's not that big of a deal. No, it is. It's horrible. It impacts generations and generations. Unlike, we must be unlike those who will say that sins are merely mistakes, because that will keep us from repentance. One man's sin has impacted the world so profoundly, we still feel its effects today. That's Paul's point. And he's going to compare. There is another man in such a similar way who has profoundly impacted the world as we know it, who is Christ. Thanks for bearing with me on that first point. It is a loaded passage. Through Christ, we experience these things. And I want to get to my, our response here. So I will spend and I'll go through this. But what Paul does in contrast to Christ, he reminds us what we inherit in Christ as a result of the gift. We, we were, if you remember in the very beginning of Romans chapter 5, in verse 6, he reminds us who we were. We're helpless, sinners, facing death. We are ungodly. We are enemies of God. Yet God reconciled us to Him through Christ. As a result of Christ, we can have life. In verse 15, He's going to pour out and remind the reader what Christ has brought to us. One, the grace of God is lavished upon many through Christ. Look at verse 15. But the free gift of salvation, the gospel, is not like the transgression of Adam. For if by the transgression of the one the many died, here is Christ. Much more did the grace of God impact the world. It's the point. And the gift by grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abound to the many. 
I don't want to get ahead of myself. Two, we can have right standing before God. Look at verses 16 through 17. The gift, the gospel. As we all recognize the universal problem, sin and death, which produces condemnation. The gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For on the one hand, the judgment arose from the one transgression resulting in condemnation. That's what Adam brought. But there is hope. But on the other hand, the free gift arose from many transgressions resulting in justification. Right standing with God. If you want eternal life, you have to have a relationship with God who is the author of life. If you are an enemy of Christ, if you're an enemy of God, the result of that is sin and the result of that is death, which is the eternal subject of being the eternal subject of God's wrath. That is what death is, to be eternally separated from life. But in the hope of the gospel, right standing means back in the garden. To be with God. When Paul writes in Romans chapter 1, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. That with is the power of the gospel. For to be back in the garden is to be back in relationship to the one who provides life. To have right standing. Not only this, while we have experienced the grace of God being lavished upon us, we have right standing with God. Paul begins again to state in verse 18, through Christ's saving act, it resulted in life for all men. Verse 18. As he compares the two, he reminds us of who Adam is and what he has brought into the world. So as through one transgression, there resulted in condemnation to all men. As a result of one man's sin, we all are condemned. But through this other one, even so through the one act of righteousness, the result, justification, right standing, and life. Life to all men. How is that possible? As a result in which we recognize this is what the power of the gospel is, is that Christ died for sinners and died. We never talk about the cross without its completion. For he has what? Overcome death. What Paul does throughout this whole text, which is so, so reassuring, the impact of Adam's sin on humanity produced death And as a result of that, sin and death reigned. E.D. When Christ overpowers sin and death, what happens? He reigns. When you get to verse 21, so that as sin reigned, E.D., it has a finished point. In death, even so grace would reign. This is the power of the gospel. And that Christ has overcome sin. So through Christ's saving act, it results in life for all men. For through the obedience of the one, many were made righteous. He has to say it twice. He said it in verse 17. And he just like, let's say it again in verse 19. That we know that we're back in the garden. We have relationship with God. To have a relationship with God through Christ is to have life. When Jesus says, Those who keep my word, he will never see death. What does he mean? To die 
and be separated with, from God for all eternity is death. Paul will say, it is for better for me to die and be with Christ. Because to be with Christ is to have life. And to have life is to have a relationship with the one who can stand before you at your grave and say, get up. But if you are at enmity with God, you have sealed your fate. And you set yourself to experience the wrath of God. Through the obedience of the one, we were made righteous. He has to say it again. For Adam, he brought in disobedience to the many which were made sinners, enemies, helpless, ungodly, right? Verse 19, even so, through the obedience of the one. My Bible, it's capitalized. The obedience of the one, one Jesus Christ the many will be made righteous. Five, I've already mentioned it, and I got ahead of myself. Sin reigned in death, but in Christ, grace reigns. Verse 21. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace would reign. Reign. Through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We've done our theology. Let's bring it to life now. How do you respond to the four-year-old and the 40-year-old with the issue of death? 65 million people, this, this is my third point, the last enemy. 65 million people die each year. 178,000 today. 7,425 each hour. 120 each minute. Yeah, we've pushed it off to the corners. We don't look at it. We don't see it. We don't talk about it. We don't address it. I'm going to say this as clearly as I can. Why do 15-year-old girls or young boys die? Sin is in our world, and as through Adam's sin, so came death. That's it. Some of you will say, hear that and they will say, that's not my God who has put such a weight on humanity. You don't understand. The God of this universe created a perfect and wonderful, great world. Adam and Eve had access to every single tree on it, except for one. And in that moment, Adam said, I don't need you, author of life, to tell me how to use your creation. I don't need you to tell me what satisfies me. And there was a moment in our history, humanity as a whole acted in rebellion, willingly. And as a result of that, we feel that affects today. The question that I have for you and I is this. Knowing this, how do you answer the question? For me, I often like, when I hear those questions, the four-year-old man says, why did this happen? It is so easy to explain why it happened without the hope set before all of us. There have been two people that have impacted the world in such a profoundly way. Adam... Don't dare leave Christ out. Because Christ has conquered the grave. 
And because Christ has overcome death, so are for those who hope in Him will inherit His resurrection and enjoy eternal life with Him through faith. We have hope. And as I look and I think about the numbers, challenge for Christians, knowing how many people die every minute, every hour, every day, every year, is that we tend to make our theology intellectual and not feel the weight of it towards our neighbor. We never speak of the hope that's set before them. I plead with you, eternity has been placed within all of your hearts and your children and your neighbors. Speak. The gospel is practical. The hope set before them is Christ. The wages of sin is death. That's that's only part of the verse. The free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Christ Jesus. Here is my concern. If I knew the 15-year-old girl, I pray, if she was here at Reliance Fellowship, she would have been presented the gospel. I don't know if she knew him or not she would have been given the opportunity to respond to Christ. How foolish and how ashamed we will be having the relationships that we have and never speak. The hope that's set before all people. There is one who has authority over death. The father, they saw, he was a father. He saw Jesus getting on the boat. He ran to Christ and his daughter was on his deathbed. On her deathbed. He pleaded with Christ, please come to my house. You can heal her. And she died. And Jesus goes up to the house to the child who is dead. And they laugh at him. Thinking that, they, that Jesus can somehow solve this problem. Mark 5, 41-42. Taking the child by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kum which is translated, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl got up. The world needs that hope. For Christ will come and redeem all of those who've hoped in him. We know the one who has authority over death. We know why it's here. We know the one who has destroyed the power of death. I love Revelation 117. John is standing before Christ glorified. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man. And he placed his right hand on me, saying, Don't be afraid. Peace with God. He has peace with God. Christ is placing his hand on John. Don't be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead. And behold, I'm alive forevermore. I have the keys of death and of Hades. He has abolished it. He controls it. He has the dominance over it. Death through sin has its reign, but it's only temporary for Christ reigns. And there is one who will ultimately conquer death as the last enemy. So I leave these words with you and I. 1 Corinthians 15.20, you're going to see the same theology here again. Strengthen your hearts in it. Let the world see the hope within you. 
that though we may die, we have peace with God. Reconciled. We know why the problem exists. We know the hope set before us. 1 Corinthians 15.20 But now Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who are asleep. For since by a man came death, who is Adam, but a man also, another one, came to the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, you and I, so also in Christ all will be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, after that those who are in Christ at his coming. Then comes the end, when he hands over the kingdom of God and the Father, when he has abolished all rule and all authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be abolished is death. We have one man to rest our hope in. And his authority is to say, death, step aside. For I have reconciled those who have hoped in me through the gift of the gospel. And that's our hope. I plead with you. It's a great reminder to me. In these days when there is so much uncertainty, how often this message is ignored. Our world needs to hear the hope of Christ. There's only one man who conquers the grave. Let's pray. Lord, we recognize.